to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to preach on forgiveness, and I've entitled it Live to Forgive. And uh, at the end, I'm going to bring, so don't rush out, I want to bring all of the all of us down to the altar and I want to do something very special mom with you so all the guests and everybody just hang in here with me all the way to the end of the service Uh, something I just think it's something really really powerful is going to take place but in Matthew chapter 6 it is it is the sermon on the mount it's in red so Jesus is speaking here if you'll look in your bible just prior to verse 14 and 15 that's those are the two verses we're going to read you'll see the Lord's prayer And that'll kind of come into play in just a minute. But it's just two verses. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14, 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated. Thanks for respecting the Word of God. You know, when I was thinking about this message today, I had this thought. Sometimes the easiest thing for me to do is to forgive somebody. It's not hard at all. You know, somebody messes up, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. At other times, the hardest thing for me to do is to forgive somebody. It just depends on who it is and how it happened and what happened and the effect it had on me. When I was uh, preparing, I came across a story, and man, I read it, and it had such an impact on me. I thought, you know what? I have got to share this story with the congregation. So I'm gonna read this story to you. Just sit back and listen to it. I think it will affect you. It's about a woman named Nettie Gibson. She's from Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Here's her story. A flash of silver, that's all Nettie, a mental health counselor, recalls about driving to work on the morning of August 10th, 2011, when another car swerved into her lane, hitting Nettie's sedan head on. With her right leg pinned between the dashboard and the front seat, Nettie drifted in and out of consciousness for almost an hour before firefighters rescued her. In the emergency room, convinced that she was going to die, Nettie asked a nurse to pin a goodbye letter to her 13-year-old son, Dominic. I told him how proud I was of him, she said, and how sad I was to leave him. Well, she didn't die. But her injuries were extensive, requiring 10 hours of emergency surgery. Her spleen, her appendix, and two-thirds of her colon and upper intestine had to be removed. Besides nearly losing her right foot, Nettie broke her right arm and shattered her right heel. For days it hurt to breathe, she said, and even feel the hospital gown against my skin. Not until several weeks later, when Nettie began to recover, did her lawyer break the awful news to her. The 63-year-old woman who had caused the accident had a blood alcohol level well over the legal limit. Here's what Nettie said. She said, before, I really hadn't been that angry. Accidents happen. But who is drunk at 8.15 in the morning and driving around? Her distress only increased upon learning that the driver had minimal auto insurance and that Nettie, who was separated from her husband, would be saddled with hefty medical bills. The last straw came the day before Thanksgiving when her boss announced that Nettie was being let go. Now that's bad, isn't it? She said, I was so depressed 
And for the next six months, I got Dominic off to school in the morning and then spent the rest of my day sleeping. She despaired every time she thought of the drunk driver who had brought such hardship into her life. And all that devastation took a toll. In the following spring, Nettie started taking antidepressants and seeing a therapist. In our sessions, I worked on acknowledging my anger and my hurt and then letting those feelings go. It was hard to do, she admits. But asking why me over and over and over was getting me nowhere. In August 2012, Nettie was in the courtroom when the woman who had caused the accident was sentenced to 8 to 16 months in jail. And she ultimately was released after serving just three months due to a heart condition. The woman looked so scared, she remembers. I couldn't imagine what was going through her head. Now listen to this. Afterward, Nettie approached the public defender. I said, please let your client know that I forgive her. The gesture gave Nettie a huge sense of relief. Listen to what she said. I wasn't in control of her actions that morning, she said, but I am in complete control of how I respond from here on out, and I decided to choose forgiveness over hate and animosity. Isn't that powerful? Today, Nettie is a public speaker for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. She was learning to walk again, looking forward to a job, but here's her final remarks. Every day I find something to be thankful for. I couldn't feel that gratitude without forgiveness. Today, I want to talk about this subject of forgiveness, and of course, I want to look at it from a biblical point of view, examine it from a biblical point of view. So how important is the concept of forgiveness in the Bible? Well, you, as you can imagine, it's very, very important. I did some research. The concept of forgiveness is, is mentioned over 100 times in the Bible. Most of it, I mean, just about all of it is in the New Testament. Depending on the translation that you look at, it can be mentioned 130, 140, and one translation 150 times. Now, that's pretty important. We know that the concept of forgiveness is important because Jesus included it in the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray daily, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Obviously, that and the verses we read are closely connected. And Jesus said that we are to pray the Lord's Prayer daily or use it as a model, actually. So how do we know that? Because we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So that tells me that praying about forgiveness and the concept for forgiveness is something that should be part of our daily lives. The third reason why I know that forgiveness is important because, is because it is an essential element to the whole concept of salvation that comes from God. So what I want to do today for the next few minutes is I want to talk about forgiveness and I want to talk about it in two categories, two categories, okay? Here's the first category. It's the category of the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God. Now, every sin that's ever committed is a sin against God. If somebody lies to you and you catch them in the lie, they've sinned against you, right? But they've also sinned against God because God says you should not lie, that lying is wrong, so it's a holy command, but also his character is holy in that he is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So lying is wrong because God, it's against God's nature. He's all about truth, not deception. Lying is of the devil, okay? So when you sin against, somebody sins against you, they're also sinning against God. 
All right, so we just got to get that in the clear. So the only proper recourse when you sin against God is to confess your sins and ask God to forgive you. And by the way, when you confess your sins, it's not just listing it. It is saying to God, God, I agree with you with what you say about what I've done. It's wrong. But I ask you to forgive me, okay? And that's very important. By the way, just for the record, just clear, um, good works will not get you right with God. And religious activity will not get you right with God. Good works and religious activity should be the outflow of a changed life that comes from a forgiven life. You know what? One time the Bible says in Mark 2, 7, who can forgive sins but God alone? So you have to have forgiveness from God. And here's the wonderful news that I love to share. God is faithful to forgive you when you humbly approach him and ask for forgiveness. There is a verse in 1 John 1, 9 that goes like this. And by the way, before I quote it to you, it, this verse applies to someone who may be here today that you're in sin, you're a sinner, you're not saved. This verse is for you. But it's also for those of us who have been born again and changed, but every once in a while we fail, we do the wrong thing, right? And you gotta deal with that with God. This verse is for us. Here's what it says. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know we're in a Pentecostal service, and I think we ought to act Pentecostal for a little bit. How many of you are glad today that the God you serve is a forgiving God? How many of you are glad today God forgave you? How many of you are glad God didn't hold your sin against you, but he forgave you, released it, and let it go? He is a forgiving God. And so God hates your sin, but he longs to forgive you of your sin and put you in right relationship with him or to keep you in right relationship with him. And by the reason, wait, let me just say this. If I cannot find any other reason, I have reason enough to praise and worship God, whether that's in my car, in my prayer closet, or when I come into this building, I have reason enough to praise and worship God simply because he has forgiven me of every sin that I have ever committed. You know what? There is no excuse. I'm going to preach a little bit here. There's no excuse to come in this building for an hour and a half, and while they're trying to lead us in praising and worshiping the Lord, for you to stick your hands in your pocket, keep your mouth shut, look around the room, look at your watch, wonder when this is going to be over. Honey, that ain't right, and that's not the way it should be. You've got a reason to get your hands out of your pocket and up in the air. You've got a reason to open your mouth and say something to God because you are in sin and on your way to hell, on your way to a devil's hell, but God's gospel got to you and you got in an altar and prayed and asked God to forgive you and he did it and he changed your life, washed you, regenerated you, cleaned you up. You've got a reason every time you walk in this building to say, I love you, Jesus, and I thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for me and if nobody else is gonna worship you, I'll worship you all by myself. Hallelujah. God's been too good for us. Matter of fact, it's a good worship motivator. In Psalm 103, verses one through three, the psalmist wrote this psalm. And the psalms are songs to be used in worship. And he wanted to talk about having a worship party, a praise and worship experience. And this is what he said. Bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He said, I'm gonna bless you with my soul, but not just my soul. I'm gonna get my spirit on mine, my body in this, my heart, my emotions. I'm gonna get some gusto. When I, I'm gonna get 
get my body in. I'm going to lift my hands and clap my hands, get my mouth saying things. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is with me. Bless his holy name. Now, we got to have a reason to bless him. He went on. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You can always worship the Lord if you'll just stop long enough to think about how good God has been to you this week, how good God has been to you today, how good God has been to you in your life. And so he makes a list, and I love the very first item on the list. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all my iniquities. There it is. You've always got a reason to praise and celebrate and worship God. And I love the fact he didn't just say some of my iniquities. He said all of my iniquities. Where sin abound, grace does much more abound. And it doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been, I'm telling you, God will forgive your sins and he'll change your life. I'm a living testimony. How about you? Hallelujah. Woo. Don't act like it's Mother's Day. Get stuffy on me. I'll shout all by myself. The category of the forgiveness of God. But now let's go to category two, and that is the forgiveness of man. All right? Now look, we're going to be real, right? Let's be real. It is no secret to you that people are going to say things and do things to you that hurt, that offend you, that harm you. It's no secret. That's just life. And sometimes it's people you don't know, and sometimes it's the people that are the closest to you. That's when it really hurts, isn't it? It's going to happen. I mean, it could be physical harm or verbal abuse or emotional or mental strain or abuse. It can be intentional. It can be unintentional. But everybody in this room, we've been there. Now, if you've never had it happen to you, you've been living on an island. But you might have offended yourself. Did you ever hear the story about the guy that got shipwrecked on an island? And they picked him up and found him. He was all by himself. And the captain found him. And when he found him, he noticed there was three buildings on the beach. The captain said, what are these? He said, well, the first one's my house. He said, that's great. He said, what's the second building? He said, that's my church. He said, you build a church? Yeah, he said, I wanted to worship. He said, what's the third building? He said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> it can happen. But when somebody does something to you, we've all been there, the pain is real. You ever been lied to? Somebody, anybody ever stolen something from you? Oh, not even a material thing. Somebody steal a job promotion right out from under you? You ever been cheated out of something? Did anyone ever fail to keep up their end of the bargain or keep their word? Sure. Anybody ever treated you disrespectfully with words or with actions? Anybody ever get back at you as an act of vengeance? Anybody ever posted something bad about you on the internet? Sure. Now, what's your initial reaction? Can we be real? Are we going to be a bunch of holier than thou's or are we going to be real this morning? What's your initial reaction? Oh, you're angry. You're mad. You're hurt. You're crying. I mean, it hurts. That's your initial reaction. And then you want to do something about it. I mean, you punch me. It's my turn. Right? I punch you. I mean, you're not supposed to, but that's what my reaction is. And what's the carnal, fleshly reaction, the sinful reaction? I punch you. Or you lie about me, I start telling stories about you. 
Are you undercut me at work? Oh, I'm on a campaign to undercut you at work. See what I'm saying? It's to get back, to get, to, to get back. It's, that's, it's the get back mentality. But you know, sometimes you can't get back. Uh, can't get back because the person who did it was your boss. If you get back, you're fired. You, it's, the person who did it at work is the boss's pet. You can't get back. And if you do, you'll still get fired. See what I'm saying? Sometimes it's something that was done by somebody that's already died and gone into eternity. You can't get back at them, right? Now, let me talk about a passive-aggressive reaction. The passive-aggressive reaction is this. Well, I can't get back at them, but I won't forgive them. That's what I'll do. I'll hold a grudge, and I won't forgive them. That's the way I'll hold it over their head. And this works especially if the person that offends you comes to you realizing what they've done and says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you look at him and say, no, I'll never forgive you for what you've done to me. Ooh, that feels good. Feels good, doesn't it? You're in control. No, you're manipulating and you're not dealing with the issue and you're trying to hurt them. That's what you're doing. And by the way, let me just state this. Any of those reactions I just talked about are not godly and they are not God approved. Here's what God says to us, brothers and sisters in Christ. When somebody sins against you, trespasses against you, you are simply to forgive that person. Pure and simple. Now, why is this? It's a character issue. You're concerned about your character, right? Well, this plays heavily into it. Forgiveness is a major component of a godly lifestyle. It's who you are. It's not a matter of exception to the rule. It is the rule. If you're born again and God has saved you, then you forgive people when they sin against you. If you are born again, you are a forgiving person. You get it? Sure is quiet in here. Matthew chapter 18, I think somewhere in there, boy, somebody must have ticked off Peter. Maybe it was his brother Andrew. Maybe James and John, the sons of thunder, got on his nerves. I don't know. Maybe they had an argument. Something happened. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, I got a question. Okay, Pete, shoot. If my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Up to seven times? I need a number here. Because on the eighth time, so help me, I'm going to smack Andrew right across the face. Now, that's not in the Bible. I just added that. But this is in the Bible. And the Lord said to him, I say unto you, not up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. Now, if you do the math, Chuck, your math teacher, seven times seven, carry the one, zero, carry 490. Am I right? Okay, make sure I try. 490. 490 times. Now, I've never had anybody sin against me 490 times in one day, much less in a year. So obviously Jesus is not giving us a hard, fast number. Here's the problem with a hard, fast number. I'll forgive you 490 times, but on the 491st time, slap you across the face. 
We can't have a hard, fast number. What is, in the, what is the meaning in this 490? It's symbolic of limitless forgiveness. God wants you to exercise limitless forgiveness towards people. Why? Because that's the character of God. He is a reservoir of limitless forgiveness. And aren't you glad about that today? Because what if at 491, God said, I'm done with you. Go to hell. Go directly to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And that was it for you. But aren't you glad where sin abounds, grace abounds, and God forgives us, even though we don't deserve it. And he wants you to be like him. It's a character thing. I read this this week by Jay Lee Grady. He's an editor of Charisma Magazine. He said, stop counting how many times you've been offended and instead thank God for all the times he's overlooked your mistakes. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's the way I want to be. Thank God for the times when he's put up with me. Let's talk about forgiveness for a few minutes because I want to make sure we understand this. And there's a word that I want to throw out to you. What is forgiveness? Here's the official definition. It's an act in which you release. And that's the key word. Can we have a little audience participation for just one time? Everybody say release. release. Thank you. There's the word. That's an important word. That's the key word. It's an act in which you release another person from an offense committed against you. You let them go. You release it. When you, you don't hold it. You release it. You release the person, but now there's more. You not only release the person, but you refuse to enact the penalty due to that person for the wrongdoing. You release payback, which is hard. But wait a minute, there's more. You refuse to sustain or maintain any consideration of the offense or the cause of the offense. In other words, you don't dwell on it and keep it in your head and keep it in You said, I forgive you, but you're still holding on to it in your heart and you're still mulling it and it's there and you're replaying it in your mind. No, no, no. You release the pain and you release whatever's inside of you. You get it out. It's all about release. You let it go. And I'm not going into a frozen song right now. Let it go. That'll help it get in your head. Okay, whatever it takes for you to get this, let it go. I know it's hard. I know it's easy to stand up here and preach it and get all excited. It's hard. It's a difficult thing to do. But God says you cannot hold on to it. You have to let it go. Can I give you all some practical things that are just very pragmatic to help you maybe teach you some things. Let me just do that and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna close. To forgive someone is not to condone the offense as acceptable. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean that what you did is all right, okay? To forgive is not to deny its harmful effect on you or on the relationship. Just because you did, Just because I forgive you doesn't mean that there's not an issue here. I don't trust you anymore. You're going to have to rebuild your trust. You understand what I'm saying? You, there, that doesn't mean that all that just automatically, magically is fixed. You have, let me give you this. To forgive is not to give the offender a license or permission to do it again. So you, you have to say, okay, I forgive you, but this is the fourth time. We've got a problem here. 
And I'm not, we're not gonna keep doing this. We're gonna talk about this. this. This is gonna have to stop, okay? So forgiveness doesn't mean that that person can just keep treating you but every time hope that you'll forgive them. You, that's where you have to say, we're gonna talk about this and things are gonna change. You can't keep doing this, okay? Let me say this to you. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice and an action. If you wait on your feelings to get right to forgive somebody, it's never gonna come because your feelings are negative and hurtful. You choose to forgive somebody and you do it and then the feelings come and actually the feelings change. Feelings don't lead you to forgiveness. Feelings follow after forgiveness. Let me teach you something today that's very powerful. When somebody offends you and you forgive them, you have painful hurts towards that person, painful thoughts, negative thoughts. But when you forgive them, God takes the pain and transforms it into pity. I've, I've, seen, I've had it happen to me. I've seen God do it with other people. It is amazing. That person that you hated, you were angry at, and you disliked, and you didn't want to even say their name, if you'll forgive them and release it and turn them over to God. What I always do, by the way, when I forgive, I turn it over to God. Every time I turn it over to God, I say, God, I turn them over to you. You'd much rather deal with me than God, by the way. But I turn you over to God if you trespass against me. Now you got to answer to God. So I always do that. God, I turn them over to you. You handle them, okay? So you, you are releasing. You are, you're letting it go. You're, you're doing it. Here's what God does. When you turn it over to God, God will take your feelings towards that person, and you suddenly see them with God eyes. And you'll look at them and you'll say, you know what? You are so pitiful. You're pitiful. You know, we'll just pull the Southern thing. Bless your heart. I never, you know, I was mad at you, but now I just back up and I'm looking through God's eyes. You're a mess. You got problems. You got, you got a lot more problems bigger than me. You need Jesus. You're dysfunctional. You have an unhealthy lifestyle. There are lots of things you need help. And that's what God will do. Instead of being angry, and you'll just back up and say, bless their heart. And, and let me just tell you, you'll know that, you, I'm gonna give you two things today that'll let you know when you're free. One, number one, you know that you've forgiven somebody when you feel pity for them instead of pain. When they don't get to you anymore, you just feel sorry for them. How many of you know that's the way God feels about us? God looks at us and says, boy, are you a mess. You're a mess. And I hate your sin, but I love you. And I feel sorry for you. And that's why I sent my son Jesus, because I don't just feel sorry, but I love you. Hallelujah. Thank God for Jesus. Let me teach you this. The offender doesn't have to hear you say, I forgive you. I've had this one asked time and time again. They don't have to hear you say it. Okay? They don't even have to ask you for forgiveness for you to give it. This is something you do regardless of whatever their reaction is. You might say, I forgive you. They may say, I don't want your forgiveness. <laughs> well, you got it anyway. <laughs> so there. Here's another one. They don't even have to be living for you to forgive them. They, they may be dead and gone, but they did or said something that's plagued you and bound you for years. You can forgive them. Pastor, not even alive. Doesn't matter. It's not about them. It's about you. All right. 
I have a, I have a man in this state that I have unbelievable love and respect for. He's a, he's a pastor. He's not pastoring now, but Pastor James Sheely. James Sheely is just one of the most brilliant men. He's a successful pastor. And when I was a young pastor in South Carolina, he was one of the guys I looked up to. And when I was elected on the state council for the Church of God in South Carolina, which is a pretty big deal, we oversee over 50,000, 60,000 members and nearly 300 churches and property in excess of how many know millions. It's a pretty big deal when you get elected by your peers. First time that happened to me, I got to serve on the council with James Sheely. Only time I got to serve with him. Man, I was honored to think I'm sitting in the same chamber with this guy. And then I got to serve on a subcommittee with him. So I really enjoyed that, that I got to be with him. He's just a wonderful man. A man in our church was talking with Pastor Sheely one day about forgiveness and asked Pastor Sheely, how do you know when you've really forgiven someone? And James Sheely thought for a moment and he said, I think you know that you've forgiven them when you don't want to hurt them anymore. I think that's something we all need to hang on to because if you still want to hurt them, maybe you need to get back on your knees and say, God, I haven't let it go. I turn them over to you. Here's a final thing I want to share with you is just sort of pragmatic. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to be buddy-buddy with the offender. Now, if it's your spouse, disregard that last statement. You're going to have to work through that thing, baby. Okay, but, but then when it gets to family, you want to try. But, but you know, if it's somebody th that just is repeatedly, you're just going to have to analyze every situation, take it, every case, it, its own value. Because there are some people that if they just keep doing things that you forgive them, the best thing you can do is you need to draw a line and say, you know what? You go your way, I'll go mine, or we don't need to spend time with each other, or I don't, we just need, you just, we don't need to, we need to end this. Okay, and, and I've had people say, well, does that make me a bad person? As long as your heart's right, no. You know, the old saying is, you fool me once, shame on you. You fool me twice, shame on me. So you have to have enough sense to say, you know what? You are toxic. This relationship is toxic. You are harmful. You're, you're a repeat offender. I need, we need to just, you need to just, don't talk, don't call me, don't text me. This is over, okay? You need to just go on your way. And people struggle with that, saying you're a bad person. No. You know, I'm a little reluctant to tell this, but I was standing on the street corner of downtown Anderson, and there is a husband and wife in this town who used to go to this church who have slandered me, lied about me, lied about me to people. I know because they've come and told me the lies that they've told on me. They have slandered me, lied about me, kept people from coming to church here because they've told lies about me to paint me as a bad person. That's none of it's true. And left this church in bad standing and I would see them out in public. Those two people have a biblical right. The Bible says that if you go to church and you go to offer your gift to God and then you remember that your brother has ought against you, before you go to church and go in there and act like you're all holy and worshiping God, you're supposed to leave, go call that brother, that sister, and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. All these years later, they have yet to ask for my forgiveness. They walk around like they're holier than everybody else. And when I see them in public, I don't talk to them. I feel no social obligation to these people. I was standing on the downtown street corner of Anderson with my two sons, and this couple came walking up. 
Now, you know what we do down south when we see people we know, especially in a town the size of Anderson. Hey, how y'all, jerks. That's what we do down south. Come on, y'all ought to be honest. Y'all, that's what y'all do. I'm not saying I did it. That's what y'all do. I'm just kidding. But isn't, but let's be more realistic. Isn't that what we do? We put on a facade because that's what we do in the South. Hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? You turn around, you know, I don't really care how you are, you know. I'm sorry. They were, I never turned around. Kept, kept my attention on my two boys who were staying on the street corner of Anderson. We just got through with a nice meal, nice fellowship. I didn't want it spoiled. And they walked right by he said, Pastor, what if they'd have went, hey, I'd have just kept talking to my boys. Oh, you're a bad pastor. Well, go ahead and judge me. But I have no social obligation to those people until they come to me and say, I'm sorry. You say, you have unforgiveness in your heart. I forgave them a long time ago. Oh, my heart's pure. But I, why, look, you ever grab a dog by the ear and he bites you? <laughs> your dog ever been eating and you reach down there while they're eating, stupid? Reach down there where the dog's eating, what they do, <laughs> tear your hand off, right? Okay, do you reach your hand down there again? Huh? I mean, not unless you're an idiot. Right? You say, stupid dog. Reach down there and rip my hand off, right? You learn your lesson. Sometimes you gotta learn your lesson. I'm preaching right now whether you like this or not. I'm helping you. Sometimes you need to learn your lesson with certain people. Don't be mean, don't be bad, don't be ungodly. You can be ungodly or you can be godly. Right? Don't be ungodly, you can be godly. But you have to learn to protect yourself. I don't know if I believe this. Be harmless as dove and wise as serpent. What does a dove do? Let you come up and pet it? Mm -mm, it'll fly away. Sometimes you just need to avoid some things. Do you ever back a snake in a corner? What will it do? Even a snake will run away until you back it in a corner. And the best thing I figure with these folks is I don't need to be backed in a corner with them. You say, you don't sound like somebody's forgiven them. Trust me, I've forgiven them. I've turned them over to God. Let me tell you something Dr. Ray H. Hughes said years ago that I live by. I live by this. I refuse to let any old goat steal my glory. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to drag me to hell with you. I'm going to forgive you and turn you over to Jesus and go on my life serving the Lord because God has done too much for me. See? Oh, I love that. Right now, some of y'all's wheels are turning. I don't know if I believe this or not. Well, go on then. I don't care. Let's close the message. Jesus said, if you want the Father to forgive you of your sins when you sin, then you must forgive others when they sin against you. You forgive the person, God forgives you. You refuse to forgive the person, God refuses to forgive you. And this is not God saying we're gonna do tit for tat. It's deeper, brothers and sisters. 
When there is unforgiveness in your heart, that is a character issue. That is, that is a sin. I don't have to say this. When there is lingering, ongoing unforgiveness, that puts you in a sinful state, and that is a barrier between you and God, and it is hypocritical for you to do something wrong and go to God and say, God, I want you to forgive me for what I did wrong against you, and God says, but wait a minute, why don't you forgive that person for what they did against you? It's hypocritical. God says, I'm not going to do it because this is not my nature. My nature is to forgive and to cleanse, and I want you to forgive. Do you see this? Here's the lure of unforgiveness. The lure of unforgiveness is that you think you are getting back at the offender. You're holding it over their head. You're attempting to put them in bondage to you. It is a control mechanism. And as I stated earlier, it's especially powerful and effective if that person comes to you and says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And you haven't had a chance to make them hurt. It's not fair, pastor. They hurt me. And then they want to turn around, whether it's in the moment or 12 years later, and I've hurt for 12 years, but they want to come back now with regret and say, I'm sorry. And I just get to tell them that's it. They need to pay 12 years worth of hurt, right? Because that's fair. God says, no, you, let, you leave fairness up to me. What you do is you release them. But no, if you say, nope, I'm not. I'm not gonna forgive you. Then see, you're trying to pay back. You're trying to inflict on them. Can I be a little strong here? You're trying to play God. That's why grudges are wrong. Holding a grudge against somebody is a sin because a grudge is a persistent, nonstop feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from an insult or an, or an injury. And if you have a grudge against somebody, listen to me, that's a sign that you have unforgiveness in your heart. And by the way, holding a grudge and unforgiveness is poison. It's toxic. It's, it'll make you bitter. It'll make you negative. You'll be negative about everything and about life and it'll destroy you. You ever pull up a weed? You ever reach down and pull up a weed and you say, ha, got it, it's disappeared. And on the surface, it looks like it's gone. But guess what? If you don't get the root, that weed will pop right back up again. And so you have to deal with things and you have to get to the root of the matter and release it and let it go to God and not hold the grudge. Forgiveness is powerful because it's freeing. It's liberating. How so? It'll free the person that, that caused the offense because they know there's a barrier there and they know that they're wrong. They know there's an issue between. And when you say, look, I, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it. Then it, it, that thing is water under the bridge and it clears the air and it restores what needs to take place for that relationship to be whole again. But if you don't forgive, it'll just kill it. But when you forgive, it'll release that person. But watch this. Not only does it release that person, it releases you from the pain and the agony and the hurt and the, and the desire to get back. It's liberating. There is power in forgiveness. Let me, let me just show you this. It can, it can heal a rift in a relationship. Forgiveness can. Forgiveness can make the relationship stronger. I've seen this where somebody comes back and you say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then the relationship is stronger after that. Here's what's powerful. And, and somebody says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That can open up the door for a conversation about a latent issue that's been in the relationship. You say, look, let's talk. we need to talk about this. 
before we go any further, I forgive you, but we need to talk about this. And then you can talk about it and come up with a plan. And each person takes personal responsibility and says, from now on, I'm gonna do better. See what I'm saying? There's power in forgiveness. So husband, you need to forgive your wife. And wife, you always need to forgive your husband. And parents, you need to forgive your children. And children, you need to forgive your parents. And siblings, you need to forgive each other. Why is it that siblings, you ever see the rifts that happen between siblings? It's so sad. You need to forgive each other. And church members, you need to forgive other church members. And church members, you need to forgive the pastors or the church leaders when they fail. And pastors and church leaders need to forgive the members when they fail. And I know forgiveness can be difficult to give, especially if you've held a grudge for a long, long time. It's deep-rooted. It's deep-seated. And I know sometimes when I preach a message like this, people say, Pastor, I hear you, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Now, when you get in trouble, you say, I won't do it. I won't do it. Uh, that, that's kind of smacks of rebellion and a determination to stay in sin. You've got to be open to what God wants to do in you and through you. You can do it. I'm going to tell you a story in closing of a, of a young lady that Leah and I ministered to years ago at Praise Cathedral in Greer, the church that, that this church came out of 20 years ago. She had been in my youth group and had graduated and was going on with her life. She was now a young woman. And she had had a stepdad that had abused her. This thing plagued her, and her stepdad was dead. And so she was trying to serve God and live for God, but the unforgiveness in her heart was standing in the way. So she called me. She says, will you meet with me? I've got to talk about this. And the only time she could come was in the evening, so I asked Leah to come with me, and together we sat in the office, and she came in, and she told me. I said, tell me about it. She told me, oh, it was horrible. No woman ought to have to go through what this young woman went through. It's just the abuse, sexual abuse. It was just, I, I was, I, my heart was feeling for her. Lee and I both were just feeling for her. And as she got towards the end, she said, here's the thing. She said, I hate him. I hate him. I can't forgive him. I don't want to forgive him. He's not alive. I want to tell him off. There's just all these things inside of me. What am I going to do? So I, in a nutshell, told her what I've just told you in an entire message. We talked about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And I got a chair and I pulled it over, an empty chair, and I set it there. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pretend that your dad is alive and sitting in that chair. And I want you to tell him everything that's in your heart as if he was here. She said, really? I said, go, cut into him. She let it all out. Why did you hurt me? You know how miserable my life has been? Why did you treat me like that? You were supposed to love me. Why did you take advantage of me? Just pouring out, I hate you. You don't have hated you. You've ruined my life. I mean, it's just flowing out of her. She's just releasing all of this. And then when she finished, I said, okay. I said, now, now say I forgive you. She said, I can't do that. 
I said, yes, you can. She said, no, I can't do it. I can't. I can't get the words out. I said, come on, you can do it. This went on for five minutes. She said, I can't. I can't make myself do it. I said, okay, finally, in exasperation, I said, all right, let me help you. Let's take it one word at a time. Will you do that? She said, I'll try. I said, okay, look at him and call his name. She did, and I said, say, I. She said, I. I say, forgive. She said, forgive. And I said, say you. And she said, I can't. I said, come on. You're two-thirds of the way there. Say it. You. I don't know that I can. Come on, you. We went back and forth. And finally, she said, you. I said, say it again. I forgive you. She's pushing the words out. It's all she can do to get the She's pushing with her. I forgive you. I said, say it again. I forgive you. She said, say it again. I forgive you. And all of a sudden, the damn bird. She started weeping profusely and crying and sobbing. And I said, come on, say it again. She said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And then I said, okay, now let's pray. Ask God to forgive you for the sin of unforgiveness. Weeping, she said, oh God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for my unforgiveness. I said, why don't you thank him for the release? He said, thank you for releasing me. Weeping and sobbing and crying. Lee and I are just tore up, but God's just working. And when she got through, I said, look at me. And the look on her face, I don't know if you remember it, Leah, but the look on her face, you could see that God had done a work in her life. Don't tell me you can't, because I know you can Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.